News and weather, RTHK. Good morning, Hong Kong. I'm Andrew Work, and my guest presenter today is Car Ha. Good morning, Car. Good morning, Andrew. Hey. Today, we're talking about eyes on back chatters with the government's plan to dramatically increase the number of public surveillance cameras. Speaking on RTHK's overview policy program, Deputy Chief Secretary Warner Chuk said that 2,000 additional cameras would be installed territory-wide in a move aimed at boosting Hong Kong's crime tracking capabilities. The minister expects 600 new devices to be installed in the first half of this year, with the remainder with eyes on you by the end of the year. It's not only Hong Kong. Multiple metropoli around the world uh, have strengthened their anti-crime technology capacity in recent years. And later in the show, 9.45ish, we will talk with a veteran runner and runningpreneur about the state of running in our city, and specifically the Standard Chartered Marathon 2024 taking place on Sunday. Tell us what you're thinking, since we're watching you anyways. Leave a message here on our Facebook page, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or call us on 233-88266. And we've got two great guests on today to get into it for the first half of the show. This uh, They include Stuart Hargraves, who's an associate professor of law at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Good morning, Professor Hargraves. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great. Good to have you on. We also welcome uh, regulars uh, on the show. We'll know Steve Vickers, a CEO of Steve Vickers and Associates, which is a specialist political and corporate risk consultancy. And if you've been around a little while, you'll know that he's also a former senior, uh, former senior superintendent in the Royal Hong Kong Police, who commandeered the Forces Criminal Intelligence Bureau. Good morning, Steve Vickers. Good morning. I, I didn't commandeer it. You <laughs> I commanded it. You commanded it. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't take it over in a coup, huh? Not really. No. 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 So, Steve. I mean, two thousand cameras uh, all over Hong Kong, watching us all the time. The, the police will be watching every breath you take. Um, is two thousand? But is two thousand cameras really a lot? I know there there are other cameras. Everybody everybody seems to know that London is the most. Uh, uh, tell you know, kind of has the most cameras of any city in the world. But is two thousand a lot in the city? The city the size of Hong Kong? Will there be one on every corner, uh, or will they be quite spread out? And you, not. I mean, I, I'm trying to get a sense of the impact. Is two thousand a lot? I did a bit of googling on the numbers of cameras and whatever. It's mostly inconclusive and uh, a lot of it inept. But it would appear that if you want some comparison, that in, in mainland China there are four hundred and thirty nine cameras per 1,000 people in Chinese cities. Wow. In Hong Kong, we have seven cameras per 1,000 people. Uh, if you want an Asian comparison, where Tokyo has one camera per 1,000 people. So I, I think the point really is not the number of cameras, it's what they're tasked to do. Uh, I mean, old think in the sort of analog area was... was, was you know, one camera, one guy sitting behind a screen or watching a, a, a bank of pictures and that's it. Well, that's really not what's, what, what, what the modern world now is. I mean, the, 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 there, are, there are issues of um, facial rec rec recognition. Um, and the, the, I mean, for example, on a non-policing point of view, uh, large shopping malls track from, they can track and plan ahead for their marketing efforts hot areas and cold areas in their, um, I mean, of, of traffic uh, within their premises, and they get they derive that from initially from CCTV cameras, which operate through very sophisticated uh, systems. So it's not the number of cameras, 
it's what they're, it's what, it's how they're coordinated and what they're tasked to do. So, I mean, from a law enforcement point of view, uh, most people like the streets to be safe. I mean, Hong Kong's already pretty safe. So, adding extra cameras is is is, is, is what the the public uh, vision of this is. But how they're actually organised and tasked and, and what they what they use to do or what the systems, uh, the integrated system does, that's actually, I think, what people need to know. I'm, in principle, I think I, 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 I'm in favour. In practice, I think people need to be told exactly what the functionality of the system is as opposed to camera by camera. Yeah, because I think a lot of people who listen to the show, they know I work in self-storage, and we have a lot of uh, technology providers now that have cameras, but the cameras have got AI watching them. And not only do they just watch, but the, the AI will, will flag suspicious behavior. You check into a site, you have a locker that's in the area A, if you're hanging out in area G, you know, F, G or H, the, the AI is going to be like, what is going on here? Something is not right. Uh, you know, AI can detect loitering on cameras in places where you don't want people loitering. I mean, it's, it's like you said, it used to be one guy watching one screen from a camera, but now you've got an AI watching. Um, how much of that is going to go behind backing up these, this new surveillance system? Oh, I'm sure that the, the, there'll be a lot of integration, uh, but AI itself, it, it doesn't do it. I mean, in, 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 ultimately, to do what you just discussed, uh, just mentioned, uh, the, the, the system would need to have a picture of you uh, and, and an entry that you are a client. Otherwise, they wouldn't, the, the AI and, or any kind of AI will not be able to detect that you shouldn't be there. So it's a bit more complex. I'll give you some examples how I think things could improve if they're placed in the right uh, places. Uh, fly tipping is a huge problem in Hong Kong. People dumping construction waste in, in, in our country parks and, and all kinds of places. Uh, I mean, this is the sort of thing that could be very useful. Uh, we've got, we're coming up to a new law on, 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 on commercial waste. So, I mean, at, at its very base level, it, that could be very useful. Uh, I mean, just as a practical a grassroots level, people are concerned in the in, in Lantau and the New Territories at the moment about burglaries. Uh, and there's been a, I don't know what the crime statistics reveal, but um, people t talk to me and they tell me the burglaries are, are on the up and this is something that, that could be done. Uh, in terms of protecting your children at school, uh, you can program, or, or, or schools, for example, can program their systems uh, so that only certain people can pick up your children. So if you wanted an anti-kid, I mean, I do kidnap ransom, hopefully not so many in Hong Kong, but around the region. Uh, so that, for example, if somebody who is not on, the, on the, the approved list of people to pick up your children and whose particulars are, would be clearly visible on, um, on the system through, fa through facial recognition, if someone like that turns up, attempts to pick up a child, though you, you get an immediate... Uh, an immediate response. So that's that's all the positive. They're, they're the positive side to it. Setting aside crime, traffic, uh, and, and and the standard issues. The the obviously, uh, I'm not here today to talk about um, privacy issues. But you know, once you've got once it's there, it's not going away. So I, I think the key is transparency, being transparent about what we're doing with the systems and and, and what's the goal. Sure. And I mean, saying what you're planning on doing and then what you can do is a different thing. Uh, Stuart Hargraves, where, you know, where can we, how can we have safeguards built into this to make sure that it'll be used in a way that is uh, restricted to crime fighting and not, you know, 
policeman checking up on his ex-girlfriend that he's mad at or something along those lines. I mean, once, as, as Steve says, once it's there, it's there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is one of the challenges of, of any kind of surveillance um, system. I don't know that you can, you can create laws or guidelines that guarantee um, any, kind of, um, any kind of system that would prevent what you're talking about, any, that would prevent a, a, a disaffected police officer checking up on, on his ex-partner or something like that. Um, Steve is right to talk about transparency, right? And that, that can be built into the guidelines. Um, as far as I know, I, I tried to look into this yesterday, and it, it seems that so far the government hasn't uh, ever answered or declines answer rather um, whether or not the existing systems do use AI or whether they combine them with, with other data that they have. Um, and so I think having transparency built into the system at an, an early stage, um, sometimes called privacy by design, is something that, that would help. Uh, in the UK, for, for sort of a, a contrasting example, there is um, an individual known as the Surveillance Camera Commissioner. And the surveillance camera commissioner's job is basically to encourage best practices by uh, the police and other um, kind of public bodies that use uh, cameras and other forms of, of surveillance, right? They, they don't have enforcement powers. They can't issue fines or anything like that. Um, but they can encourage, uh, again, the police to, to place cameras in appropriate locations, to uh, try and reflect upon the guidelines, the internal guidelines that the police themselves have about how the footage is used, who can transfer it. Um, that kind of thing. So there's certainly things that, that can be done, but you can never have a guarantee. I don't think any kind of law or regulation can provide you with a, a guarantee like that. And uh, actually speaking of the privacy issue, so actually do you uh, think that that is a very big topic to educate or change the people's mindset about uh, adding additional camera, for example, like 2000 additional camera <coughs> will be a, uh, invading our privacy? Do you think it is a big topic in the future? I mean, pri privacy is a big topic. I don't think it's connected to some um, specific number of cameras, right? As though 2,000 is a problem or is not a problem, but 10,000 is or is not. It's it's not about the number. Mm -hmm. um, it's all about balance, right? So, so there's no question, I think, that the vast majority of people in Hong Kong and elsewhere would agree that public safety, right, is a, a public order, is a legitimate ground for surveillance. But the point is that that's not a trump on its own right it's a, there's always going to be a balance that we have to strike um with with individual or personal privacy right and so a really simple example that i think we can all understand is, is public toilets right we know that crime can occur in public toilets that's not that's not yeah. a, a surprise um but we never have cctv in those places right nobody's proposing to put cctv inside public toilets because we all understand that the invasion of privacy would be would be too great um so, so it's not about the number, it's more about the purpose, the location, um, how long the records are kept, these kinds of things. I think that matters more than, than the specific number. Mm, email from uh, Mike. Uh, is the city striking the right balance between security and privacy? The question, quote unquote, assumes, end quote, that the government or city, as you call it, is trying to strike a balance. Control is the key word left out of your narrative. How much does that play a part? We got word yesterday that we were a safe city to entice more expats to come. Now we are talking about needing more surveillance cams to help deter crime. Isn't it ironic as the song goes? Well, maybe Mike knows I like a little Canadian music reference in my uh, in my show. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, he's talking about balance. Is it sending the right message? Is it saying, hey, guys, don't worry, we're safe, but we're putting in another 2000 cameras just in case. Um, I, you know, and I think as as uh, 
Uh, as Steve pointed out, um, very low by Chinese standards, very high by Japanese standards. So I guess it depends on who you're comparing it to. Um, Steve, you know, you work with international firms and what is their perception of crime in Hong Kong? Do they, when they hear an announcement like this, do they think, oh, must be, must be bad, worse, worse than they're telling if they need to put in all these cameras? Or do they see uh, I doubt it as... it would impact um, international firms sending expat, uh, expats here from, from... I mean, Hong Kong has a very good reputation for, um, uh, for, for being crime-free and, and, and what have you. Obviously, 2019 was, was an aberration, and, and that, that caused all kinds of drama. Uh, but, but from a, a pure international corporate point of view, I, I doubt that any kind of this announcement would, would, would have any impact on us at all. Yeah, I've got another email from Henry who says the success of Chinese police in tracking criminals fast with the help of surveillance cameras tells loud and clear the immense help these cameras help the police. If more criminals arrested would be criminals would think twice prior to committing crimes in Hong Kong would be a more safe city. Um, it's an interesting supposition. Does the data bear it out? Do either one of you have data that shows that, you know, broadening a CCTV program? Uh, makes a safe a city safer. Do we see an impact on crime? Has that been the experience in London, the, the most heavily cameraed place in the world? Well, the yeah, problem I, in London is it's got lots and lots of cameras. I wouldn't say it's the most heavily cameraed place in the world. I'd look at the mainland if I were you. But um, mm. the thing in London is there's lots and lots of cameras, but nobody looking at the data. So <laughs> not nobody, but not mm. after something bad has happened, mm. uh, they, they often make make arrests as a result of that. Uh, I mean, the, the, the way pub, that recently, for example, the public order demonstrations in the UK over um, over, Palest over, over Palestine, Israel, and the and on the wider issue, uh, they didn't make very many arrests at the time, but then they made arrests later. Now, whether that's useful or not, I don't know. Personally, I think policing should be done. You should do what you can on the spot when you can, but but that's how it operates. So again, it's not the number of cameras; it's, it's how they're tasked. Uh, who's interpreting the data uh, and the rest. I mean, we do have problems in the city. I mentioned earlier the, the fly tipping, people dumping waste, mm. burglaries. It really annoys people in, uh, in, uh, in, in the new territories, and particularly Lantau at the moment. Um, and the facial recognition piece. I, 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 I'm just not sure how much yeah. are, are wanted people going to be put in systems which, which automatically send out a signal that they just crossed Nathan Road at number 575 and on the public crossing. And are we going to, is that going to be a system we're going to use? I don't know. Um, yeah. Likewise, traffic, the tunnels. I mean, the tunnel entrances, the, the, the Western Tunnel, I drive through it every day. So uh, I was less than impressed with, 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 with how the bottleneck was working uh, at the Western Tunnel. Hopefully that kind of thing. Uh, could be controlled earlier and more quickly, you know, with, 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 with more efficient systems. Um, and public, obviously, public order will be something that there'll be c c competing elements with, within the police force. Some will want stronger, uh, stronger public order-related stuff. The rest of them will, will want traffic and crime. Um, so I don't think there's any single brain behind this. I, I think th this yeah. often evolves by osmosis rather than intent. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, Stuart, have you have you seen any numbers that show a relationship between increased camera surveillance and reduced crime? Yeah, it's quite interesting. So, so in the academic research, there's kind of mixed evidence um, depending on where the studies are done, right? So, so we know, as, as Steve said, and as you said, that the UK has, you know, by some distance, perhaps the highest rate of CCTV use amongst liberal democracies, but but clearly doesn't have 
um, the lowest crime rate. So it's not as though you can draw a straight line between cameras and, and the reduction or you know, significant reduction of crime. But but of, of academic studies. So one one study that I came across uh, again in the UK found that there was um, a relatively limited um, impact on reduction, with the exception of car thefts from parking lots. So for, you know, the the huh. addition of cameras to parking lots had a really significant. Um, uh, impact upon the reduction of, of car thefts. But outside of car thefts, not a huge impact. In contrast, there was another study I came across uh, in South Korea, which found that there was quite a significant drop in robberies and thefts um, in a particular area where you know they kind of run a trial of of these um, systems. So so the evidence is mixed, but but most of the studies that I that I see um, suggest that cameras alone are, are really not much of a solution, right? And that the cameras tend to be most effective uh, if they're deployed uh, in conjunction with other kind of more traditional um, policing measures. Do they have an impact on fashion? And and the reason I'm asking <laughs> is because you, you go to Europe, man, there's a lot of people wearing hoodies and ball caps and sunglasses. I mean, a lot, like you notice it. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, I, I was told by people that, you know, that is, you know, people are wearing that because they don't want to be recognized and quite often because they're involved in criminal activity that kind of becomes the new the new look for criminals uh because they want to cover well, this, up and avoid being ever recognized we, we we can joke about it but i but i think you know th this kind of gets to to some of the the key concerns that some people might have right the, the theory is that that observation changes behavior right whether mm. you are a criminal or an innocent person right this is the the well-known um kind of panopticon concept right if you if you if you think you might be watched whether or not you are being watched um you act as if you are being watched and so you can you can change your behavior and so on the one hand yes cctv might deter criminal behavior under that theory but it can also change you know other other things that we might not want to um, you know, eliminate or deter. So something as simple as, I don't know, two, two lovers holding hands or, you know, parents acting silly with their children or people spending time in public with, you know, people who, who might have controversial views. All these kind of things, people might begin to change their behavior if they're worried that, that these images or these records can be, um, you know, used against them at some point in the future. So that, that's really the concern. And it gets back to, again, what Steve said at the beginning, to, to have clear um, identification of the purposes of, of, of the cameras, the locations, information put forward about how long images are retained, this kind of stuff, right? If you're going to introduce higher levels of surveillance, then I think it, it really is important to, to bring along these um, this information for the public so people really do have a clear idea of, of what's happening. Mm. Yeah, and also like apart from the high crime like district or like some kind of densely populated area can can install uh, more camera. So actually, do you think, for example, the school can be installed like some of the cameras to to monitor the how's the school doing and something? Well, if I might jump in, that I was saying, I mean, I've handled quite a lot of kidnappings, which in Hong Kong, and hopefully they're not prevalent these days, but they often started at the school, oh. where the child is snatched from on the way or on the way back from school. Uh, this, this, as I was mentioning earlier, the facial recognition stuff works really well, uh, and can you, and can in high risk situations, maybe you've got somebody who's in a, a high risk situation or has been involved in an ugly um, domestic situation. It is possible to program this so that we can identify problems, you know, right on the spot at the time, not so we're not finding out about it half an hour later. Um, so that that kind of thing is really excellent. 
Uh, but you don't want, I don't think, we don't want cameras in schoolrooms where we find out that um, Johnny's been playing with his mobile phone instead of uh, studying his maths. I mean, that, that, that's taking it to a... Another another extreme. So, I, but if we're talking about police cameras in public areas, you know, if Mr. and Mrs. Rockwell out in the street, they feel like somebody's watching me. Um, are they going to, you know, as as uh, Stuart says, are they going to change their behavior, or or do people tend to forget about it? Like once it's out there, do people after a little while they kind of forget about the cameras and go about their normal life and act in their normal way, or like do they do they revert to normal behavior? Do you think, Stuart, or do they continue to act weird? It's. I mean, that's that's a that's a really challenging question, right? Um, do do swim? Do, do fish know that they're swimming in water? I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where it just becomes part of your everyday life, the background, like you say. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I let me echo what Steve just said about cameras in schools, right? It's one thing to say that you can have a camera at the gate uh, as a security measure. That's one thing. Having cameras inside a classroom. Um, is something very, very different. And I think, you know, I, I talked about balancing off uh, the interests versus the, the, you know, the public interest versus the, the private interest before. Um, I think that's a good example of how the, the, the private interest really would or should win out inside a inside a classroom where you want children to be to be learning and to, um, you know, at the, at the older levels to to discuss um, different kinds of ideas. Uh, I, I think having a, a cameras in, in that kind of scenario would be very damaging to the learning process. Yeah, I think it got suggested a few years ago and it got shot down pretty hard by all the teachers' organizations who were like, no. Um, so, but if we're putting them out, like if we've got these 2,000 cameras, I mean, I, I appreciate what uh, Steve has been saying about fly tipping, big problem in Hong Kong, uh, people dumping garbage where they're not supposed to. Um, other uh, fly tipping usually re- refers to industrial waste, but you've also got regular people, uh, you know, dumping garbage where they're not supposed to. I've got one along the escalator at Moss Junction, which was identified as a, you know, as a problem area. Um, will 2,000 cameras make a difference? I mean, if, if, if I know there's a big camera there that says we are watching this area, which they now have, am I just going to go walk half a block down the street where I know there's no camera and dump my garbage there? I think some people are just blase, and it's a culture thing as well. So the surveillance alone won't won't help. But I, I do think if you want to change the culture, I, I think it, it's possible. And a few prosecutions properly done uh, will, 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 will sharpen a few minds. But like I say, what worries people are dumping, fly tipping, burglaries, that kind of stuff. And the other side of this, if, if you're on the other side of the, um, the argument about cameras, um, would, would, would be somebody's disappeared. Uh, they were last seen at Lockhart Road at 2 a.m. in, in Wan Chai, and, and we're worried about them. Now you've got me. Now, yeah, now, well, yeah, now I'm interested. Yeah, I'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> so if you buy me a beer, I won't tell everyone where you were. But, but the, the, the point is we can actually use this. This can be used very, very quickly and effectively to find if someone's in trouble. Uh, did something happen? Uh, can we get a, a clip of maybe they getting into a taxi? Where did the taxi go? This stuff is very, very useful in emergency situations. But it's also, conversely, it can be embarrassing if you're a celebrity and the, the person you got in the taxi with is not your husband. Oh, we've, had, we've had that case before. Actually, I think that one was a taxi dash cam. Yeah, capture the celebrity. But I mean, I appreciate what you're saying because, you know, we, we've heard these uh, stories and, uh, and uh, you know, I've known people this has happened to where they got roofied and, uh, you know, these Nigerian gangs are working one chai. And then they have the cameras from the bank machines because apparently they like march you around ATM to ATM when you're mm. all like zonked out and whatever they put in your drink. Um, and they've been able to kind of reconstruct, you know, your steps, yeah. even, even here in Hong Kong. Um, I, I guess 
that was just at ATMs, but now they'll be able to track you. You know, we, will we have enough cameras where we can track somebody as they move through 20, 30 blocks of Hong Kong? But again, it's not just the number of cameras. It's, it's, it's how the system is configured and how it's used. So, again, let's be a little bit transparent about what we're doing. And I think we should go forward with some confidence, provided that there's a... There's a, there's a, there's a what we don't want are lots of leakages. I don't think the police will do, but often building management do do. Uh, or, or, I mean, there was a couple of terrible cases where a, 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 a gentleman stabbed two women to death in a Oof, shopping uh, mall. A, a, yeah. in, in a shopping mall, and the video of that was was everywhere. We just don't want that kind of stuff. Definitely right. Uh, we're going to probably after the half hour news, we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about safeguards. It could be put in, in what we have right now, uh, because I imagine the government already has cameras. And so these extra 2000 will be additive, not a new thing. So presumably some protections are in place. And we can get into that after the half the news at the half hour. Uh, thank you very much, Steve Vickers, for joining us on the first half of the show. He is the CEO of Steve Vickers and Associates. Uh, Stuart Hargraves is going to stay with us and join us again after the break for the news. Uh, he is the Associate Professor of Law at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, and we'll be looking forward to more of him. Having a look at our weather for today and the weekend, mainly fine. Warm during the day. Whew, maximum temperature around 25 degrees. January day at the beach. Why not? Uh, becoming cloudy later on. Looking ahead, rather warm during the day tomorrow, wind strengthening from the north and temperatures falling on Sunday. So, Karha, maybe hit the beach on Saturday and sure. snuggle up with a loved one on Sunday to stay <laughs> Let's warm. Let's go there together. <laughs> there you go. Currently, it is 21 degrees and 61% humidity. This is RTHK Radio 3, and you're listening to Back Chat. And now the news with Todd Harding. United Christian Hospital says a 55-year-old patient has died after being found unconscious by healthcare staff with a crossbody bag strap tangled around his neck. The hospital says it has informed the police and the patient's family. The United States says it's not at war with Yemen despite increasing military exchanges in the Red Sea region. Earlier, the US military launched a fifth round of airstrikes against the Houthis. And Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said he's told the United States that he's against the creation of a Palestinian state when the war in Gaza ends. It comes after 170 Palestinians were killed in the past 24 hours by Israeli strikes in the Warthorn enclave. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. To create a brighter future for Hong Kong, how should we allocate resources? Promote green transformation, help the needy, nurture future leaders, improve quality of our homes, diversify industries, enhance financial services and INT, and attract talent and enterprises. Achieve sustainable development and grow the pie for Hong Kong. The 2024 to 25 budget public consultation has started. Go to budget.gov.hk and share your views. A new regulatory regime for the travel industry has been in full force from September the 1st, 2022. Travel agent, tourist guide and tour escort are regulated by the Travel Industry Ordinance. If a licensee commits any irregularities, the Travel Industry Authority will act according to the law. A travel agent must hold a valid license to do business. Always patronize a licensed agent to safeguard your interests. Please visit tia.org.hk for more. 
And we're back on Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work here with Kara Ha. We're talking to Stuart Hargraves, Associate Professor of Law at Chinese University of Hong Kong, about the government's plan to put another 2,000 cameras across the city to, uh, fight, uh, to fight crime. And so Stuart was with, with us on the first part of the show. And joining us now, uh, fresh to Back Chat this morning, is Eunice Young, a new People's Hello. Party and Civil Force morning. lawmaker. Good morning, Eunice. Long time morning. no speak. Hello. So Eunice, what do you think? 2,000 cameras. Uh, what's your take on this plan? I think uh, the general view is that uh, whether it's justified to have these um, CCTVs to be to be to be deployed in the cities, but um, according to to what John Lee has said yesterday, yesterday and the deputy uh, secretary of of uh, the government, they they have stressed that it's, it's, there is a pressing need on the on the crime rate, the fighting fighting of crimes. And uh, I've checked the latest crime rate for for this year and last year, and I see the overall crimes is increasing of thirty three percent. And on violent crime, there's an increase of 15%, and homicide, robberies, all, all kinds of crimes, there are increasing numbers. So um, for those in high-risk situations and high-risk um, uh, locales, I, I think there is a need to install CCTVs. And also, uh, under, the, under the current law, under the current situation in Hong Kong, the PTPO, um, etc., there, there is some um, guidelines for installing CCTV as well. So I think um, to compare on the, on, I will, I will say that there are higher priority on, on setting on the security issues. So I, I, I will agree on the installing more CCTVs for, for the high-risk um, streets or high-risk uh, lo, uh, locations. Okay. And it, when you say they're high-risk locations, one of the things we identified in the first half of the show was fly-tipping. Uh, we also, you know, where people are illegally dumping uh, industrial waste. We also heard that the, the one thing, and Stuart, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but the, that where we were seeing a change in criminal uh, behavior was a reduction in car theft from parking lots when you installed cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kind of crime you're talking about, are the cameras going to make a difference? Are they, are they happening in places that police camera will reach? Of course, the use of um, uh, surveillance cameras can can be contribute to on um, safety and crisis on many issues. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, if, if, if the problem is domestic abuse, for example, if there's been a big rise in domestic abuse during the COVID, which which apparently is one of the areas, I mean, police cameras in the streets are going to happen because that's happening in people's homes. I mean, are the cameras going to be in the right place to catch the right kind of crime? Yeah, but of course, that if you if you put on the high risk places like um or maybe there are there are crime rates or more more than other 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 places like Omong Kok, Yaoshimong, etc. And and I I think there are there are, it's, it's a mixed issue whether whether they have a deterrence uh, effect whether there is crime prevention and for investigation and evidence and collecting. So I I think for all the CCTVs whether they are installed whether they install in specific places. They have their their own purpose. They will serve their own purpose. But of course, um, for for the crowd management and and etc. on the for for the for the for the. <clears throat> Uh, for the markets and and for different different departments, when they install CCTVs, of course they they want to have collect different informations. But um, to compare or to 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 strike the balance, I think um, the government now they they propose to install 2,000 more CCTVs is um, is uh, solely on the security um, uh, reasons on that. And uh, I think they have they 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 uh, in 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 later later period they will they will justify it on uh, where to install it and and why. They installed. Mm. Does there need to be a culture change? I mean, I mean, because so for example, you get a place. We, we heard that Japan has a very low level, like uh, one seventh the level of cameras that a place like Hong Kong has, but they also have a high trust 
low crime society. I mean, as more people come from the mainland, do, do we kind of because they have a high camera culture to keep mm. things under wraps? Do we need more cameras because we have more people coming from the mainland? And that that is how, you know, there it works over there that they need more cameras to kind of keep things safe. I think if we compare to other places, if we're just talking about 2,000 uh, surveillance cameras now, um, if, if just now you just said Japan, because Japan has 5 million CCTV cameras, and France, they have 1.65 million, Australia has 1 million CCTVs, and, and compared to these, these places, uh, if, if we're just talking about 2,000, it's, it's nothing can be compared to other, other countries. But of course, in a country-wide, in a country worldwide, um, um, they have more CCTVs, and I think there is a there is a trend to to install CCTVs for the cities um, in order to collect 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 informations and uh, collect information when there is crime uh, uh, um, um, anticipated or when there is crime um, actually occurred. So mm. I think there is a need of for, for CCTVs and it's, uh, it's also for the investigation to how how do we to 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 spot the the, the crime and how do we collect information and and sure. have uh, this this crime to be stopped. Those those total numbers that you're citing are are total numbers of CCTV cameras, but I'm guessing that the vast majority in most places are in private hands. They're in restaurants, bars, nightclubs, shopping malls, private residences. Stuart, Stuart, is, is there, do we see a difference in, the, in the, the nature of the balance of CCTV cameras, whether they're held in private hands and then the mm. police can access them or whether they are actually held by the government? Is there, is there, is there a qualitative difference between those two hardware's no linkage between the personal CCTVs the private CCTVs but as, as I said just now there are in in the in the privacy office they have the guidelines for installing CCTVs and, and you are not supposed to install in, in private places for those who are in changing rooms in toilets etc et sure. so I think I think we have uh, pretty good guidelines and and people know where and and when they should install CCTVs yeah. and and if if you're installing in public in private Places um, uh, like the, for the for the residential building, you can you cannot install the CCTVs when and you're facing to the uh, the other the other units. That I think I, I think it's a good practice, and and we should we we should maybe if if there are more CCTVs to be installed in proper places uh, for the government, maybe they should review on 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 the on the guidelines and and how do we strike the balance? How do we um, whether we should set a pri- higher priority on security um, um, concerned and and how do we strike the balance between the, the personal privacy and our security as well? Yeah. Stuart, is, is 2000 a drop yeah, in the bucket against private? It's, I mean, it is. There's, there's certainly, you know, many, many more um, privately run CCTV cameras in, in Hong Kong than, than publicly ones. But I think that that helps us to sort of think of surveillance um, in the city and not just Hong Kong, but in any city um, as kind of a web, right, that all these things overlap. Um, it's true that the, the police do not have direct access to um, privately run CCTV, CCTV cameras, um, but in practice, uh, owners of privately run CCTV cameras uh, are free to provide police with the footage from um, from those cameras, even if it reveals personal information. Right, it's one of the exceptions under the, the privacy law in Hong Kong that they, they can provide that if it's in the investigation of a crime. Uh, and the police force has also issued guidelines. Um, which is quite interesting to read, um, guidelines for those people installing privately run CCTV cameras with advice on how to make the footage uh, more useful uh, for the police should they, they need it. Um, I, I, so I think, I think thinking about things in a, in a big web is, is, is helpful. 
Um, but when it comes to to the effectiveness, one, one thing that I wanted to mention that I didn't get a chance to say in the first half of the show was the, when the government was asked a couple of years ago about whether or not they recorded or whether the police recorded statistics on how often um, CCTV footage had been used in the prosecution of crimes. They said they hadn't kept any records, right? Mm. So if, if we want to justify the installation of cameras, I think one good thing that the government could do would be to start keeping these kinds of records, right? Because then we can have a, an evidence-based policy that says, look, these cameras are in fact being used in the prosecution of crimes, or if we can have some research into whether or not crime has dipped in the areas where they're installed, these kinds of things, right? Sure. If we have an evidence-based policy, um, it's going to be more useful than just, just assuming that um, the installation of cameras is, is effective. Okay. So the, uh, I mean, how about extra government organizations like Steve Vickers company, Kroll, Control Risks, um, Hall & Oates, if they're privatized out there, can they access this kind of information, whether it's from government or private sources, or, is, or do they... Do, do they not have rights to get access to cameras if they're investigating something? As far as I know, they would not have the rights. So the exception under – so if we're assuming – let's take an example of, say, there's, there's private footage taken inside a shopping mall by, by CCTV there, and it reveals the, 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 the faces of people and it's classed as personal information. Right? The police can request that information from the shopping mall, and the shopping mall um, – can choose to release it. They can be ordered to release it if there's a court order and so on. But even without a court order, they can choose to release it even though it contains personal information because that's one of the exceptions under the law. Um, but if, if I go to the uh, shopping mall and say, can I have access to that? Well, no, that's not an exception because I'm not um, part of the, the, the police, right? So so I would assume that, that Steve's um, company doesn't have access to the same footage. Now, informally, perhaps they do, but, uh, but certainly under the, the letter of the regulation, I would, I would doubt they have access to it. Eunice, are there, are mm -hmm. there moves in LegCo, whether it's in the Security Committee or other, are there moves uh, by legislators to try and ensure that privacy, uh, privacy considerations are built into this? I think it, it comes in as the assistant aid for when, when there's crime actually occurred. Because I, I also have this experience that uh, wherever there is crime, crime occurred on the street, uh, such as our Patterson Street, uh, the police can will ask uh, the, the, the shops along the Patterson Street, and they'll ask um, whether, whether, whether the CCTVs can, can, take, can take the whole footage of, of the crime, and, and they will collect all the, all the CCTVs along the street. So, so I think it's, there is no there is no guarantee or there is no uh, the, the monitoring or, or, the, or the control on how the, how the situation or how the, the quality of the CCTV can be. Some, some, of CCTVs, some, some of the CCTV will be black and white color and some of them, are, they, they may even have uh, recorded the sound, recorded the, 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 the conversation between, between those um, the, the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the crime occurred. So, so if there is um, the, the government or the police or, or other departments, they have installed their own CCTV. So whenever for the, for the investigation and for the, for the evidence collecting, it's easier for them to do so. And I, I think for the private private ones and the, and the public ones, they will be helping each other on, on the for, 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 for cap, capturing the whole scene. Of course, it's the best, the best idea. 
And um, I think that, I think we need a, a better practice on how do we use the CCTVs and and whether the record, uh, as, as you mentioned just now, whether it will be stored for 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 the, uh, how long how long the period of time, and uh, and for for how long it can be used for to use as evidence, and who will be tendered uh, to the court uh, in 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 for prosecution prosecution as well. So I think uh, we we all have to uh, set out uh, uh, clear guidelines to for the use of the CCTV. TVs and the footage for the for the crime case. Do police need a warrant to access private CCTV coverage in Hong Kong? They they can they can when 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 the when the when the user or the owner of the CCTVs can provide it and they are willing to to give it to to the, to the police or and they are willing to be the prosecution witness for the for the case so they can use the CCTV record. What if they're not willing? What, do the police do the police then, need then to get they a warrant? Use it. Then, then the police cannot force them to use it. Yeah, but okay. they, they will not get sued about not giving out the the camera footage. I don't think so. No, there, there is no, there is no, there's no guidelines or there is no rules to to force someone to give out their CCTVs. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so st- even even yeah. for for those in in traffic cases, like um, every most of the cars now now they have car cams. Even when when you are being sued, when you are being the defendant, you can you cannot tender the the CCTVs or the the, the car footage, the car footage for the for the for the for the accident. So there is no there is no 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 bar or there is no rules to to force someone to to give out evidence. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, actually, uh, in Hong Kong, we have already installed uh, those smart lamp posts uh, mm. on the street. Actually, is it uh, having any difference between those kind of like lamp posts or the additional camera, which is like uh, installed in the future? I I I think they they might have difference because the it depends on where you going to install the CCTVs the, for the 2002 CCTVs that the, the government uh, um, set yesterday. So mm-hmm. maybe they're in a, in the corner or or it's not it's not appearing as the lamp post as mm-hmm. as those um the the the, the lamp post shape. So I I think they have different appearance in at times and in different locations. So I think it depends. Stuart, you you've got a lawmaker on the line here with you as a as a guest uh, is there anything you would like to request that lawmakers maybe build into laws like this i know as an academic you probably want more data um is there <laughs> if, if you were going to put it to a lawmaker and say here's one thing that i that i really think would be great if you could do what what would that be what would you recommend but I, 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 if i can take the opportunity maybe perhaps perhaps a couple of things so so interestingly the, the police have um guidelines that say they delete uh video footage from their body-worn cameras, um, if it's not going to be used for a prosecution, then it's deleted after after 31 days, right? So in that situation, they have very clear guidelines about how long footage will be retained. Um, but in the context of broader CCTV, they don't have that kind of specific guideline. They just say, you know, we keep it um, until it's no longer necessary. But that's sort of up in the air about how long that would be. Um, so to the extent that the LegCo can play a role in having uh, tighter guidelines or more clear guidelines that apply across the frame of of surveillance footage, that would be useful. Um, another thing that the LegCo might consider is the creation, as I mentioned in the, in the first half again, um, in the UK, the role of the surveillance camera commissioner, right, distinct from the privacy commissioner's role, but having a kind of a quasi-independent office um, that that assists public bodies in, in developing and reviewing um, guidelines for these kinds of cameras, right, uh, I, I think would be, would be extremely useful. It's not a way of uh, penalizing anyone, right, there's no kind of enforcement powers 
numbers. There's no fines to be lobbied, but it's just a way of encouraging uh, best practices by the police and other public bodies um, when they rely upon uh, these kind of surveillance mechanisms. Oh, a, a CCTV commissioner. Maybe Eunice Young could be the first CCTV commissioner. <laughs> Although I don't know if she'd want to watch all that footage. <laughs> thank, thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Eunice Young from the New People's Party and Civil Force Lawmaker. Thank you always to uh, thank you also to Stuart Hargraves, Associate Professor of Law, and I found out uh, graduate from the University of Toronto where he got his PhD. Fine institution. I'm going to give it a plug because my daughter's graduating from there in a couple of months. Uh, but right now, he's an Associate Professor of Law at Chinese University. Thanks both for joining us as we discuss the government's own Alan Parsons project to put another 2,000 eyes in the sky. Thank you. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And we're back on Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. I'm Andrew Work and I'm here with Carha and we are switching gears from uh, cameras with our eyes on you too. Talking about running and specifically the Standard Chartered Marathon happening this weekend. And we're talking to Peter Hopper, who is a partner at the uh, re- the running retail store, Gone Running, and a part-time marathon runner. Well, I guess he's not running marathon every day, for nine hours a day for his full-time job because he's got to run his store, Gone Running. But he runs marathons. And uh, Peter, you will be in the Sunday's marathon, yes? I will be in the half marathon, yes, but I will be taking part. Ah, fantastic. So, so you're, you're doing the half marathon. How is the marathon shaping up for 2024 compared to past years? Well, it's, it's great to see it back to the full quota for a start, right? I mean, it's, it will be 74,000 people on the streets this weekend in the three events, the marathon, the half, and the 10K. So it's the first time since COVID, of course, that we're back up to the you know, the, the, the full quota that, uh, that, that's been allowed. And that's 74,000 people running either the marathon or the half marathon? Or the 10K. There's about 30,000 doing the 10K. Yeah. And then about 22,000 doing the half and 22,000 doing the, the full. So, yeah, it's quite evenly split, but, yeah, a lot of people. I could do a 10K. How about you, Car, huh? No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't do, do a 10, I can do a 10K. <laughs> Not really. Look, you can do a 10k. You yeah, can do a 10k. Yeah. I'm, not, sure. I'm not much of a runner, but uh, is it the number is like big comparing uh, last year, or it is just a normal yeah. number actually? Yeah. Well, pre-COVID, it was at that level. It was at that sort of seventy thousand level. But during COVID, of course, it stopped for a couple of years. And as the uh, as we've returned back to normal after the uh, removal of all the restrictions, they've gradually increased the number of people in the race. I think last year was. 25,000 in total, if I remember rightly, Ooh. something like that. So they've gradually increased the quarter. Well, triple, triple from one year. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound like a gradual increase. That sounds like a <laughs> ba-boom, baby. We're back. We're back, yes. How many, yeah. of those, how many of those people are from Hong Kong and how many are come in from overseas? Well, it's a good question. I actually don't have the data, but mm. uh, there's a lot of people come in and there's a lot of invited athletes. I think I was reading those invited athletes from 45 countries because... This year, it's actually the Asian Masters, the, the Asian Marathon Championship as well. So ah. it's actually got quite a, a, a regional status. This race. So has that given it a one a one time boost that you know we we won't have next year, but it will be at whoever is hosting it, the it, Asian it's, it's Marathon. It's happened before. There's been previous years when it's also been the Asian <laughs> Marathon Championship, but it doesn't happen every year, and mm. it just builds the profile of the race uh, to be something a bit more than just a normal marathon, if you like. So 
that that's that makes it a little bit more important this year. So, how many years have you joined this uh, marathon? Wow, I think I think I've probably taken part in one of the events probably in the last fifteen years or something, one 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 distance or another. But yeah, it's it's probably the most important race in Hong Kong on the race calendar. So, for a lot of people, it's a big target for their training and their preparation. So yeah, it it is it's a very visible and very popular target for everybody. I, I, I said at the uh, the top of the hour, I, I suggested you were a runningpreneur. <laughs> okay, I like that, a runningpreneur. Um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, running a runningpreneur. And I, I wonder for stores for stores like yours. So you have one location in Wan Chai, yes? Yes, we do. Yes. And I mean, is there? I mean, obviously, with, with this many people coming in from out of town, um, uh, is, I'm, I'm assuming this is good for business when something like this it happens? Is. It is. I think um, it's very important for all of the running stores, I think, to be engaged with the community. And we all try to reach out to people that live here and train, as well as people that are coming in. Uh, there's also, this weekend, the Hong Kong 100, which is another race, which is a 100-kilometer race. Uh, out in Sai Kung, and that's also bringing in a lot of people. So this is a—it's like a super weekend of running <laughs> this weekend. So uh, for for all of the stores, you know, we are trying to reach out, trying to suggest, you know, what people would need this late. Um, obviously, you're not going to buy a new pair of shoes to run on Sunday, but you know, there's a lot of other stuff like nutrition, et cetera, that people will, will, will want to have. Well, that's what I was wondering is like, I, I mean, I'm assuming if you, especially if you've flown in for this, presumably you have your shoes good to go. Oh, yes. you've, you've got your latest version or whatever, you've got them broken in. So you're probably not buying, you know, you're not flying into Hong Kong and buying a pair of shoes. You are geared up. Um, but what are the last minute things that people buy to prepare for something like this? Things they might've forgotten, things that might've yeah. been broken or, or things that they know they can get, like, you know, whether it's like goo or carb loading. I mean, exactly. What, exactly. what, what, what are the last minute purchases that people Yeah, it, there's a lot of nutrition. So they'll buy gels, they'll buy, um, the salt tablets, whatever they feel they need. I mean, there's a lot of that this late, right? Mm. But you're right. So no, no, in fact, we would say to people, if they come in looking to buy a pair of shoes, for goodness sake, don't run in the muscle on Sunday. You know, it's, it's a massive risk to change things like that this and, late. Anything they will buy for keeping them warm as uh, the coming weekend, I, I heard about it, the weather will go down, so it will be like a little bit cool for the weather. Well, so, ev Yeah, everybody that will be running will be welcoming the fact that it's going to be cool. I think the the usual challenge even for this early in the year there's been years when it's been 25 degrees on the start line you know and that's that's actually very hot for running a marathon so i i don't think people will be concerned too much about the cold weather i think it's going to be what nine degrees at the at the worst something like that uh so they might wear arm warmers or something like that just to keep them warm at the at the start but honestly once once you get running you warm up quickly and you know it'll be it'll be perfect i mean that's actually really good running weather so i think they'll be very happy to to have the colder weather this weekend how, how does this race shape up against others i i mean like what have i heard of i heard tokyo's i think has a pretty big one um but i mean other cities that are like you know 30 degrees every day you know kind of like your bangkok Indeed. singapore type places they also have yeah. i think i was in ho chi minh uh over the weekend and i, I we came across the uh the, the cleanup from the Ho Chi Minh yeah. City Marathon. Oh. Yeah. 
which it which it just happened. So I, we didn't really have a sense of how big it was because they were just doing cleanup and we didn't even know what was going on. Um, but but where does Hong Kong rank in terms of the big the big Asia marathons? Are we considered one of the big ones? I mean, seventy four thousand sounds like a lot of people to me. Well, it's a lot of people, but it's split over three distances. Um, right, more than almost half is the ten k. There are some other marathons like Tokyo, London. Berlin. I mean, they are just marathons. They're not marathons and half marathons, and they get up to fifty, sixty thousand people as well. So, wow. they they are just marathons. So, in terms of the marathon itself, it's relatively small, but because it's combined, it's it's just such a bigger big event, and, it, and it's much more accessible for people. You know, it's not quite so daunting to run a ten k as it is to run a marathon. So, I think for Hong Kong, it's fantastic that. It's a way for people to to engage, uh, and and it it really brings everybody out. So, I think it, it it ranks highly as a as a as a marathon. It's never never going to be a PB course because of having to run through the Central Harbour Tunnel and things like that. It's never going to be a place people will come to set a world record. But or, or PB their personal best, just personal for people best, who thought yeah. that means per, peanut butter. It's personal Sorry, best. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> personal best. So it's just the course is not conducive to that but you know it is it's still a fantastic place to run so it it it, it doesn't rank as high as berlin or some of the, the six majors but it does still attract a lot of people in this region in, in asia would you put it in the top three mm, you got tokyo i'm biased <laughs> well there's tokyo this I, I would say it's in the top i'm biased i would say it's in the top three but I think Tokyo is probably the, the biggest yeah. uh, and the most well-known. Uh, and then after that, the Standard Chartered Bank sponsors a number of races. So the Singapore one is also Standard Chartered sponsored. So they they actually created this this whole network in, in, in Asia. So, you know, Singapore is quite big as well, even though the, the, the climate generally isn't as good. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. Does, does money play a role? Is there prize money? Does, does it make it more prestigious like other sports where if there's like a lot of prize money on the line, you get the world's best runners coming and then... Yes, I mean, there is. And that's why a lot of the, the big athletes from abroad come because of the prize money. But I think this year, what's really interesting for the local population is there's quite a lot of prize money for local people who run under three hours for a man or under three hours 30, you can win $10,000. And that's actually been a massive incentive this year to get local runners into the race. And uh, I, I know lots of people who've been training extremely hard to try to get in a position to to be able to get that $10,000. First time they've actually offered that. And I think it's fantastic for the for the local community. Under three hours, what do you think, Karha? Like, I mean, you don't rush into a marathon, but, you know, <laughs> we, start, we start training for next year. How, if, if you were starting from scratch, how long would it take for somebody uh, from their first visit to your store, Gone Running, to be able to train up to marathon ready? How, how long would that take for a, a complete well, to novice? Be able to, com- to be able to complete the marathon, just to complete the, the 42K, I would say 12 to 16 weeks, you, you could... Okay. Get yourself into a, a real, you know, a reasonable state. Okay. Com- complete the marathon. So you might be doing five hours or five and a half hours for the for the marathon, but it's 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 perfectly possible. And I think, you know, if you make a commitment to actually get out there and start to to train, then it's perfectly possible to to complete the marathon. Absolutely.
Okay, so Karha, there, there, is, there is hope for us yet if we want to try our hand at uh, getting in on this marathon game at some point. I will think about it. Yeah. Well, Peter Hopper, thank you so much for joining us. He's a partner at Gone Running, part-time marathon runner. Now, I'm going to have a huge <clears throat> shout-out to Buffco, my favorite running team, uh, you know, run by the Lowesby dynasty. I'm sure they'll have people in the, in the race, this various races this weekend, and also the, uh, the big 100K one that's coming up. So shout-out to the Buffco team, my faves. Um, I'd also like to uh, let you know you should get back on RTHK Radio 3 on Monday morning so you can hear Jenny Lamb and Mike Rouse uh, killing it on Back Chat. I think I'm doing Money Talk, so that's another plus. Get on from 8 till 10, where we're just going to be rocking it here. Thank you to Karha for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, of course. And thank you to our producer, Raphael Blatt, and audio engineer, Tsung Wing Ming, rocking a new haircut today. That's been Back Chat. (laughs) 